like root canals, some business meetings, and even perhaps a preacher on a Sunday morning. Earlier, as we've been going through the book of Numbers, one of the things that we have seen recently is that um, grumbling has permeated or has been one of the dominant themes of, of our text. And we've seen that one of the things we've tried to highlight is that grumbling is contagious, that it spreads throughout the entire congregation. One of the things we're going to see today is that not only is grumbling contagious, but it's chronic. It never ends. That's what we're going to, a bit of our focus as we get into our text today. We're going to see that grumbling is chronic. It just never stops. So as we go along today, let me give you a little bit of a review and some context. And and I think it's helpful. Uh, Most of our messages will begin with a setting or trying to remind everybody of where we've been. Because I realize, first of all, we forget stuff. And some of you may not have been... um, may not remember exactly where we left off last week, and some of you were unable to be here, and so let me just try to remind you and help you where we've been. Then I'm going to give you a a little bit of an idea of where I hope to go. Where we've been, just by review and context, there has been this unending complaint, starting in chapter 11, but um, just this unending complaint. And last week we saw that the complaining um, extended from the people and the people began to complain about the leadership of Moses and Aaron. The people complained about Aaron's religious authority and Moses' civil authority. And we saw the disaster that came about from the people questioning, not simply because they questioned Moses and Aaron, but ultimately they questioned God. And they complained about this. And we should remind ourselves that complaining... um, is really the fruit of something much deeper. In fact, on Wednesday nights, we're studying the, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, and that's either a live class or a, um, it's a hybrid. So you can come and be here in person, or you can join us on, on Zoom. But one of the things we saw last, that we've been seeing in the, uh, the, the Sermon on the Mount, is that out of the heart, the mouth speaks. So when the mouth is speaking complaint, it is signifying something much deeper, a heart issue. Um, and so as the people are complaining about leadership, they're actually complaining, um, their, their complaint stems from a rotten root. And one of the things we learn from the scripture is that their, the root of their complaint, the root of their sin was their unbelief. In Psalm chapter 106 um, Verse 25, it says, they murmured in their tents and they did not obey the Lord. And then in the book of Hebrews, we see the author of Hebrews reflecting back on this era of Israel's history. And in chapter 3, verse 19, we hear the author say this. Um, So we see that they were unable to enter the land because of unbelief. They did not believe, so they were not able to receive the promises of God because of unbelief. And so out of their unbelief, then, because they don't believe God, they grumble against God and his anointed. So that's where we've been. Where we're going to go today is we want to focus. um, The focus today is 
a complaint against Aaron's office. Aaron's office is high priest. So that's really the area of uh, address today. And we're going to see today two more instances where the people, um, where God demonstrates that Aaron is God's elect for his function. The office of the high priest was not um, achieved by um, self-appointment. Aaron didn't say, well, you know, I think I'd kind of like to be the high priest. I think I'll just kind of take over that position. No, this was a position appointed by God to Aaron. It was Aaron's job because God elected him to that position. So we're going to see two more instances today that demonstrate that demonstrate to the entire uh, nation that Aaron is God's elect high priest. And then one other thing we're going to see is Aaron's intercession, where he's going to demonstrate and prove that he all, by his actions, prove that he is that elect high priest. So with that, let's uh, go on and um, let's read our text today. And I'm going to begin in Numbers chapter 16, verse 49 or 41, and I'll read through chapter 17, verse 13. So listen to God's word. But on the next day, all the congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and against Aaron, saying, You have killed the people of the Lord. And when the congregation had assembled against Moses and against Aaron, they turned toward the tent of meeting, and behold, the cloud covered it. And the glory of the Lord appeared, and Moses and Aaron came to the front of the tent of meeting. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Get away from the midst of the congregation, that I may consume them in a moment. And they fell on their faces. And Moses said to Aaron, Take your censer and put fire on it from off the altar and lay incense on it, and carry it quickly to the congregation and make atonement for them. For the wrath has gone out from the Lord, the plague has begun." So Aaron took it, as Moses said, and ran into the midst of the assembly. And behold, the plague had already begun among the people. And he put on the incense and made atonement for the people. And he stood between the dead and the living, and the plague was stopped. Now those who died in the plague were 14,700, besides those who had died in the affair of Korah. And Aaron returned to Moses at the entrance of the tent of meeting when the plague was stopped. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and get from them staffs, one for each father's house. From all of their, sta- from all of their chiefs, according to their father's houses, twelve staffs. Write each man's name on his staff and write Aaron's name on the staff of Levi. For there shall be one staff for the head of each father's house. You shall, then you shall deposit them in the tent of meeting before the testimony where I meet with you. And the staff of the man whom I choose shall sprout. Thus I will make to cease from me the grumblings of the people of Israel, for they grumble against you. Moses spoke to the people of Israel, and all their chiefs gave him staffs, one for each chief according to their father's house, twelve staffs. And the staff of Aaron was among their staffs, and Moses deposited the staffs before the Lord in in the tent of testimony. And on the next day, Moses went into the testimony and behold, the staff of Aaron for the house of Levi had sprouted and put forth forth buds and produced blossoms and it bore ripe almonds. Then Moses brought out 
the staffs from before the Lord to all the people of Israel. And they looked, and each man took his staff. And the Lord said to Moses, Put back the staff of Aaron before the testimony to be kept as a sign for the rebels, that you may make an end of their grumbling against me, lest they die. Thus did Moses, as the Lord commanded him, so he did. And the people of Israel said to Moses, Behold, we perish. We are undone. We are all undone. Everyone who comes near, who comes near to the tabernacle of the Lord shall die. Are we, are we all to perish? And thus ends the reading of God's word. Would you join me in prayer? Father, we pray that you would bless the, this reading of your word. And I pray, Father God, that as we uh, exposit and um, draw out the meaning of this text and the application that um, how it, it applies in our lives, Lord God, that we might be attentive to what you have to say, that we would truly believe that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, and these are the words of God. And I pray that you would help me to uh, explain carefully and precisely and clearly what you would have to say to us as individuals here this day. To open our ears, Father God, I pray that we would be those who have ears to hear and that you would open our minds, Father God, that we might comprehend. You would open our hearts, Father God, so that it's not just an academic understanding of your word, but it transforms our lives. So strengthen and keep us this day, Lord God, First, we need to hear your word. We also need, Lord God, that, that your spirit would impart those words of life to us. If there are any here, Lord God, who are not followers of Christ or who, who are listening this day uh, online and they're not followers of Christ, I pray that um, they would hear your word and call upon you and be saved. So let your name be glorified this day. For Christ's sake we pray. Amen. So, as our text begin, it says, But on the next day, all of the congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against the Lord and against Sarah, Aaron, saying, You have killed the people of the Lord. First thing I, I think we, we really just need to bring out is note the time reference. Note the time reference. The very next day. So, that should get us all to think, well, what happened on the previous day. I'll tell you what happened on the previous day. Dathan, Abiram, and Korah and all of their families got swallowed up by the earth. 250 men who claimed to be priests were incinerated by the fire of God because they presumed upon the Lord and rejected and did not believe what God had said. And they grumbled against Aaron and they grumbled against Moses and God demonstrates that Moses and Aaron are mine and on the very next day, after that, the congregation of the people of Israel grumble against Moses and Aaron. 
And note who's involved. I'll probably unpack this a, a, a little bit more. But note who's involved. The people. Who are these people? You can say, well, in general, it's Israel. Of course it is. But let's be even more specific. It is the very people who survived the wrath of God the previous day. They were the people that Moses and Aaron said, get out. Run for your lives. The judgment of God is about to fall. And they did. They listened to Moses and Aaron, ran for their lives. They've been spared because they listened to the words of Moses and Aaron. And on the very next day, they grumble against Moses. They're only alive because of Moses and Aaron. God said, I'm going to snuff them all out. And Moses and Aaron intercede on their behalf. And they're alive this day because they listened to Moses and Aaron and because Moses and Aaron interceded for him. So on the very next day, these people who survived are now picking up the complaint from the previous day. And there are two major issues that I want to address with their complaint. They grumbled against Moses and Aaron saying, you've killed the congregation of the Lord. I, I want to pick up two, two important, I think two important important points or issues from this. The first all first off is that they hold Moses and Aaron responsible for the death of the people the previous day. When in actuality, as I mentioned just just a just a moment ago, Moses and Aaron were actually the ones who interceded for their for their accusers. Their accusers are alive today because of the intercessory ministry of Moses and Aaron. Moses and Aaron didn't kill a single person. The only reason they lived to complain is because of Moses and Aaron. You, Moses and Aaron, have killed the people of the Lord. This is an utterly and completely ungrateful group of individuals. Moses and Aaron interceded and their lives have been spared and they're still utterly ungrateful for the work that has been done on their behalf. So that's the first issue. They hold incorrectly that Moses and Aaron were responsible for the um, judgment that had occurred the previous day, as though Moses and Aaron actually have the ability to cause the ground to open up and fire to come down from heaven. Moses and Aaron have great authority and great power, but they do not have that power. And they do not have that authority to command lightning. But they ascribe evil to Moses and Aaron. It also seems to imply there's a, there is an implication. You have killed the people of the Lord as though those people were innocent. And that brings us to our next point. They turn criminals into victims. They turn criminals into victims. So the first major issue was that the people hold Moses and Aaron responsible. And the second major issue is that they make victims out of criminals. You have killed, note what they say, you have killed who? The people of the Lord. Verse 
I want you to understand that Korah and his ilk were not the people of the Lord. These were rebels who hated God. But they ascribed to them this position of these were the people of the Lord. No, they weren't. They were never the people of God. They, they never belonged to God. They actually display the characteristics of Pharaoh and, um, and, and a love for the land of Egypt. They are rebels against God. They had hardened their hearts like Pharaoh against a holy God and refused to believe what he had to say and refused to obey his commands. They are just like Pharaoh. And they long for Egypt. Egypt is the land of milk and honey. So within this covenant community, there are those who are not members of the community. Even though they're part of the community, they are not actually part of the community. Paul says, not all of Israel is Israel. Many people came out of Egypt, but not all of them were part of the the people of the Lord. These were not the people of the Lord. And so because of their, because of sin, they have now ascribed victimhood status to these people who were justly condemned for their sin. We see that today, don't we? And just in society, we see uh, victims uh, or criminals turned into victims. This is one of the things that we discussed at our one of our at our last business meeting, we really kind of focused on this uh, this this grievous worldview that is known as critical race theory. And in critical race theory, we we put we divide society into two groups: you are oppressed or you are an oppressor. Here's the thing: if you are oppressed, nothing you do is ever wrong. You can burn down a building and you can rob a store and you can do whatever you want, but it's simply because you are a victim of society and it's okay. There's literally, during some of the riots of, uh, the previous, of, of last year, there was actually a book put out that uh, it was called something to the effect, In Praise of Looting. Or it was a justification. It's okay to loot because you have been oppressed for so long. You are just simply taking advantage of oppressors. It's okay. You're not a criminal. The ironic thing is the book was copyrighted. Don't steal my book. I'm not saying that that worldview makes any sense. It makes no sense. But we turn criminals into victims. And we see that all, we see that maybe uh, a criminal breaks into a house and the homeowner protects themselves and it results in the death of the person breaking in into the house and everybody says, oh, that poor man. That poor individual who, who broke into the house. Oh, what a horrible thing. He was a, the best person who had ever lived. No, he broke into a house and he threatened somebody. He's not a victim. I'm sorry. So we do that. This especially happens in the church. This happens all the time in the church. As, 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 as a community gathered together, as a family, as, a, uh, as an assembly, one of the things we value is that we, we, we value the ability and the right and the access to hold one another accountable. 
And we'd say, hey, brother, hey, sister, you know, our, you know, I've noticed this. Let me tell you, hold somebody accountable for their sins and you will bear their wrath and they will plead victimhood all day long. It happens in society. It happens in a church. Turning criminals into victims. So Korah and his rebels never belonged to God. And they were justly, I'm going to underline, highlight, capitalize, flashing neon light, justly judged by a holy and righteous God. Now, here's the amazing thing to me. Neither the wrath of God nor the mercy of God had any effect on these people's hardened hearts. They had seen the wrath of God on rebels and they had experienced the mercies of God by being warned to flee. None of those things had an effect on these people's hearts. What a frightening thing. Keep that in mind because when we come to the end of this message, I think that's going to be relevant. And so anyways, there is this this complaint to get Moses and Aaron and so God shows up. God intervenes. The glory of the Lord comes. And then what we see is the glory of the Lord um, appears. Um, that's in verse 42. They call Aaron, he call, God calls Aaron and Moses to the tent of meeting and he calls Moses and Aaron, get away from the midst of the congregation that I may consume them in a moment. And Moses and Aaron fall on their faces. They plead to God and basically a plague breaks out. I don't know exactly what this plague was, but it was some sort of plague. And it began to consume the people of Israel. So God speaks and he says, listen, I am going to consume all of the people in a moment. And note this. Get away from the midst of the congregation that I may consume them, that is the congregation, in a moment. These, and then Moses and Aaron begin to intercede for the rebels. And I think it's interesting that the target of God's judgment is the people of the congregation. At this point, remember last week in verse 16, we saw that Moses and Aaron interceded this way. Would you, God, consume all the people? Would you consume all the people for the sin of just a few? And God said, fine, send, get the people who are innocent. Get them out of the way. Now, all of the people are being consumed. In other words, there's none righteous. Not even one. They do not plead. Lord, if there's somebody righteous, everybody has gone astray. There is none who does good. And the plague breaks out and it requires atonement. So as it breaks out, Moses says to Aaron, take your censer, put fire in it from off the altar, lay incense on it, carry it quickly into the congregation and make atonement for them for the wrath has gone out from the Lord. The plague has begun. So Aaron took it, as Moses said, and ran into the midst of the assembly. And behold, the plague had already begun among the people. And he put incense and made atonement for the people. And he stood between the dead and the living and the plague was stopped lot there. 
First of all, note, atonement is necessary. The wrath of God manifests itself as a plague and it begins to spread and it begins to kill. And I note what Aaron does. Aaron runs into the midst of the plague. Today we talk about first responders and, and, and the, kind of their hero status, right? So if you're in a public place and gunshots break out and everybody runs away from the gunshots... And as people are running away from the gunshots, you have police and other first responders running towards the gunshot. And we say, man, that's amazing. Buildings on fire, ready to collapse. Everybody's fleeing out of the building. But firefighters and first responders aren't fleeing out of the building. They're running into the building to protect and to save those who are in peril. Aaron is perhaps our, one of our first first responders. The plague breaks out. He doesn't run away. as ever, He runs into the plague. I can save. I'm going to bring atonement to redeem and save a group of people. And these are people who have, are not worthy in themselves to be saved. But Aaron runs into them and it says that he, so he runs toward the plague and he takes up a position between the living and the dead and his mediation stems the tide of God's wrath against sin. Well, there's a picture, isn't there? Aaron. has atonement in his hands and he stands between the living and the dead and stems the tide of God's wrath and he saves the lives of rebels. Wow. We'll pick this up as we um, come to our gospel connection, but certainly there is a picture of Christ who stands between the living and the dead and he saves the life of rebels with an atoning, mediatorial um, ability to stem the tide of God's wrath. He runs to the plague. Christ ran to save sinners from their sins. A couple of applications that might be helpful for us. The first one that seems, I think, Well, I think I only have one application. So when I say the first one, I mean the only one. But but here's what's pretty evident. The people couldn't save themselves. People couldn't save themselves. What was what was their, their complaint? Their complaint is Moses and Aaron, you've gone too far. You are self appointed. We're all holy. We are all priests. Well, as it turns out, you cannot perform a priestly function of saving yourself from your sin. Only Aaron is able to do that. You claim to be priests, but you cannot stand before God and make atonement. They could not save themselves. They needed somebody else to stand between them and the wrath of God. You see, when the plague comes, their self-professed authority is demonstrated to be powerless and worthless. Only God's chosen representative could offer atonement for their sin. We live in a day and age when people say, well, I don't really need Christ. I'm pretty sure I can save myself. 
I'll just turn my life around. I'll turn over a new leaf. I'll become a better person. I'll become more confident. I'll become more self-assured. I'll be, um, I'll be nicer. I won't be as angry. I'm going to be just a better person. That would be satisfactory to God. Certainly God would never turn away a, a morally improved individual. You cannot save yourself. You cannot save yourself. Ultimately, we are rebels. We need a mediator to stand between our sin and God's wrath. These people claimed to be priests, but they couldn't save themselves, and they couldn't offer anything that a priest would offer to save themselves, to save themselves. And you cannot save yourself, and I cannot save myself. We need a mediator, and there is one mediator between God and man, the man, Jesus Christ. That's it. Only God's chosen representative could offer atonement. These people could have offered incense a billion times. God consumed the day before. God consumed the people who offered incense offering. They cannot offer it. It's worthless. Only God's chosen representative do that. Well, you would think that this event would have brought an end to the matter, right? This will stop the griping. This will stop the complaining. But God, being God, decides, I'm going to give them another proof to confirm that Aaron is my high priest who serves me and he alone is the one who operates in this position. So one more event and this we find in chapter 17, and it's uh, um, the very, very well-known passages of text um, speaking of Aaron's rod, his staff that blossoms. If you don't know much about the book of Numbers, but you've been a Christian for a while, you've probably heard of this story before. This is probably one of the better, better known events in the book of, of Numbers. But here in chapter 17, Aaron will be affirmed by God. He will be affirmed by God as um, the high priest. And the purpose of this event, the, the purpose of chapter 17, is to demonstrate that Aaron is God's anointed high priest. He's going to prove once for all. The way he's going to do this, the method, the method by which this is going to take place is he's going to tell Moses, listen, um, collect staffs from all of the 12 tribes, um, from the heads of the 12 tribes. And there's been a lot of debate um, about what these staffs were, and it's beyond the uh, scope of this message to get into to great detail about that. But more likely than not, each head of the tribe um, would have had some sort of staff that more likely conferred some sort of authority or confirmed that they were the the, the tribal head. So go get these staffs, write, their, write the name of their tribe on the staff, and then place them before the Lord. Um, and then there's a lot of questions as, what does that mean? And again, that's a, another sermon or another discussion for another day. Was this in the actual Holy of Holies or just outside the Holy of Holies? Um, the Bible says it is before the Lord, so we'll just go with that. And the result of placing these staffs 
They follow the method now, and the result is that Aaron's staff sprouts and puts forth buds, and it bears ripe almonds. Aaron's staff puts forth buds, it blossoms, and it bears ripe almonds. So it doesn't put forth just a little leaf, a little sprig, right? I mean, a dead tree, a dead staff might, maybe, perhaps, right? Sometimes you might cut a tree off at the stump and maybe a little sprig comes out. I guess that's possible. This staff, though, doesn't put out a little sprig, but it blossoms and it bears ripe almonds. Obviously, God is involved in this. There is no doubt now that Aaron is God's choice for the position of high priest. And I want you to know, this does not mean that Aaron is some sort of perfect individual. In fact, Aaron doesn't enter into the promised land um, because of his own issues. It just simply means that he is God's elect in this, in this position. He is God's person for this position. He's, yeah, he's the one I chose. There should be no doubt about that. So we've seen the method. We see the result. We ask the question, now what? God says, place the staff before the testimony as a sign for the rebels to put an end to their grumblings. Put the staff before the testimony as a sign for the rebels to put an end to their grumblings. You notice how oftentimes God uses something as a sign for others. We saw last week that they, um, with the, uh, the censers, they melted them down, made plates out of them, and put them um, on the altar, and they were to serve as a sign. This serves as a sign. A sign to the rebels, a sign to the grumblers. I suppose that we have all of these signs for a reason because we forget. We're going to see this again a number of times through the book of Numbers that God is going to take something and use it as a sign for us to remember and also to demonstrate specifically that Aaron is the guy. Aaron is the high priest. So if you ever have a question ever again over who is God's chosen, you got Aaron's rod. You got Aaron's staff that blossomed. That is a sign that he is the chosen of God for that particular task. And then when we get to the end of this chapter... This is an amazing thing. And the people of Israel said to Moses, Behold, we perish. We are undone. We are all undone. Everyone who comes near, who comes near to the tabernacle of the Lord shall die. Are we all to perish? This is an amazing thing. When I first read this, I thought, man, this chapter ends on such a discouraging note. Maybe I don't want to end here. Maybe I should keep going because I don't want to end on such a discouraging note. Let me just say this is not a discouraging note. We should be rejoicing the way this chapter ends. The people finally realize they have sinned against a holy God. This is now a glimmer of hope. They are people who have said, 
I rebel against God. I do not take his authority. I question everything he he does. I don't believe him. I wish we were back in Egypt. And now we are undone. We have sinned because of what we have now seen. We recognize that God is holy and we are not. We will die if we enter into his presence. Praise God this is the first step towards a life in relationship with God. So let me hold there and let me then ask this question, so what? So what? This might we might call our gospel connection. What does this have to do with the gospel? I want you to understand that God demonstrates, I'm sorry, that this chapter demonstrates that God chooses his leaders. And I'm not going to focus, I think, I'm not going to focus so much on the congregation or on church leaders, though I think that applies here. But I, I, I'm going to hold to the interpretive grid that all of the Bible points to Christ. And we hold to that because Christ said so. So with that as my... Where's Arvid? My hermeneutic, Arvid. Um, with, with that as my hermeneutic, um, I am going to uh, approach our gospel connection with this is pointing to Christ. This is about Christ. In John chapter 5, people question, people are questioning Jesus' authority. You're the, you're the son of Joseph. Who made you Messiah? I mean, really, you're just the son of a carpenter. Really, the illegitimate son of a carpenter is what they would be thinking. Who are you? You're not a priest. You're not a Pharisee. You're not a scribe. What authority do you have? By whose authority do you do these things? You are just self-appointed. Listen to how Jesus responds to the accusation of self-appointment. Do you see the parallel? People are saying Aaron and Moses are self-appointed. They're saying that Jesus is self-appointed. And here in John chapter 5, verse 31, he says this, If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. You're correct. If this is just about me, and I'm just making some self-proclamation, my testimony is not true. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. And it goes on. Um, And he talks about John being a testimony to him. And then he says this down in verse 37. And the father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard. His form you have never seen. And you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is they that bear witness about me. So here's what, what Jesus says. Jesus says, I, I don't bear testimony of myself. I am not self-appointed. First of all, we have the testimony of John. We have the testimony of the Father. We have the testimony of the Holy Spirit. 
The miracles that I do bear testimony of me. In other words, Jesus is attested that he is sent from God, not simply by self-claiming it, but because God has affirmed it with signs and wonders and the Holy Spirit, and he is the one. Um, and so Jesus points out, listen, I have been commissioned by God because I raised the dead. And I have authority over hell, and I have authority over nature, and I have authority over heaven and earth. That is my testimony. God the Father has testified that I am the beloved Son. I am not self-appointed. So the first thing we see is that Jesus is the Son of God by divine appointment. The second thing we want to point out as a gospel connection, I want to point to this dead stick that sprouts life. A dead stick sprouting life. The idea here is that when this staff of of Aaron brings forth life, it can only be by the hand of God because only God can bring life from death. Only God raises the dead. Aaron's position is affirmed by God by bringing the dead to life. In Acts chapter 2, Verse 22 and 24. Listen to Peter on the day of Pentecost. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him through in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up to according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was impossible for him to be held by it. You killed him. God raised him from the dead. It is God who testifies that he is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased because I bring the dead to life. And Jesus now has been brought to life. The resurrection, the resurrection, life from death proves that Jesus is the chosen of God. He is the high priest who runs into the plague and makes intercession and atonement to stop the curse. How do we know? Because God has given us a sign. What's the sign? Jesus has been raised from the dead. That's the sign. That should end all discussion. Just like it ends all discussion over who's high priest in the encampment of Israel, so who is the high priest who makes atonement for the sins of the people? The one whom God brings life from death. And that is Jesus. And the people in Israel respond, woe to us, we are dead men. We have rebelled against a holy God. That's how chapter 17 ends. Woe to us. We're going to die. We're going to die. The people then realize their sin and they realize their inability to provide a remedy. Not only are we going to die, but where are we going to go? We can't save ourselves. Who can save us? Let me give away a little bit of next week's message. Chapter 18. Verses 1 through 3 provides that Aaron, the high priest, will bear the sins of the people. We're going to die. What's the remedy? The remedy is that the high priest is going to bear your sins. 
folks, anybody who says that the Old Testament is irrelevant to our needs today has not read the Old Testament. Here, who can save us? We've rebelled against the holy God. Who can save us? The one who can save you is the living high priest who will bear the sins of the people. And we see this then borne out uh, further in Acts chapter 2. I just read part of Acts chapter 2. Listen to Acts chapter 2, verses 37 through 39. Now then, when they heard this, when the people heard Peter's sermon, they, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? In other words, we've sinned against the holy God. What are we going to do? What shall we do? Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you and for your children and all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. The high priest bears the sins of the people. Woe to us. What are we going to do? Who can save us? Aaron, the high priest, will bear the sins of the people. You and I may say, woe to us, what are we going to do? The high priest, Jesus Christ, proven to be the high priest by being raised from the dead, will bear your sins as he has borne my sins and everybody else who's called upon the name of the Lord, and you will be saved. I'll conclude with just a few basic points. Point number one. Folks, it's, this is true. You cannot save yourselves. We cannot save ourselves. If you are here today and you think you can, if you're listening via Facebook, if, if you think you can save yourself, you are in grave danger. We are in need of God's high priest to stand before us, to stand between life and death. That's number one. We cannot save ourselves. Number two, Jesus is the only one who can perform that function. Only Jesus can perform that function. Only, just as only Aaron could make atonement for the people, only Jesus makes atonement for the people. He makes atonement for our sins and he demonstrates that he is authorized to do that by being raised from the dead. And then finally, repent and believe that Jesus, who is dead but is now alive, will make you alive together with him. Father, we come before you this, this morning and we are grateful. We are thankful, Father God, that you have provided so, so spectacularly on our behalf. And I pray, Lord God, for, for those who might be convicted and, and see their need for a Savior. And I pray, Lord God, you would speak to them, Lord, and, and that they would call upon your name, that they would believe that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that you have been affirmed by God, that you make no self-appointment, that by resurrection of the dead, you demonstrate that you have authority over death. So I pray, Father God, that you guide us here. If we are followers of you, Lord God, and that people are our believers here this day, Lord God, that we would realize the great cost, that we were rebels and yet you stood in the gap and you stood in the midst between death and life. 
and you brought us life. And that if we are in you, we are new creations. So grant us grace and favor this day. Let your name be glorified. In In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's Let's stand and sing joyfully. Man, I hope you are able to, uh, to stay for, for our meeting. Uh, we have a few little tasks to take care of, and then we will, uh, we will gather to meet. But until then, um, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.